So, welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, presented by Verso Studios at the Westport Library, and available on all your favorite podcast platforms like Apple and Google and Amazon and Spotify and wherever you find them. And my name is Migs Burrows. And I'm Trace Burrows. And today on our show, we have Clea Sutherland Newman and her husband, Kurt, who... Um, are very involved in the charitable organizations that Paul Newman started a few decades ago, as well as um, the new memoir that came out about Paul Newman called The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man. And then there's the series on HBO Max uh, called The The Last Hollywood Stars. So we'll, we'll just get into it and discuss all this stuff. Maybe you have a starting question. Well, yeah. Well, I have a, uh, well, we both, you know, we grew up in Westport, lived here uh, before your parents did, but in 1950. But anyway, so uh, and we've run into so the, this is kind of a towny question, but we had our run ins with Paul and Joanne. My mother actually was friends with Joanne from the Remarkable Bookstore. I mean, they, you know, were bookstore friends. And um, and uh, anyway, but so the question I have occasionally I would see Paul and Trace has had the same experience at Heyday or some public place and people were very respectful you know of his whatever his presence and and not badgering him or running but sometimes he would make he would call out like he'd be across the room at the end of the thing and go how much are these tomatoes you know and everybody would look i mean was that something you experienced or is it was that just something was he being playful i mean it was fun to, to know everyone would look and say who's yelling about the tomatoes but you know <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to know the deal with the tomatoes. But... <laughs> yeah, he would. He was supposed to get home and you know bring home the tomatoes, and he needed to. He needed to leave, and he was. He probably didn't want to like make his way across the where, right. or maybe he didn't have his glasses and he couldn't see how much they cost or if they were the right tomatoes. It was almost like he wasn't aware of his own celebrity, which was very charming in a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that too, probably. Yeah. So, so the 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 organization series from camps. I, I I knew of hole in the wall camps. Is that like an umbrella organization that covers all those different camps, or are there different kinds of camps within? Uh, well, hole in the wall gang camp is our first camp, and then. The Serious Fun Children's Network is the network of all of our camps, including Hole in the Wall. And all of our camps are named different things. So like our camp in California is called Painted Turtle. Our camp in France is called Laval. Um, our camp in Ireland is, is Barrettstown. Our camp in Florida is Boggy Creek. Um, so the support center, which is within the network, supports all of the camps and that's i'm the ambassador for the support center so i actually i get the greatest job in the world i get to support all the camps and the, all the camps basically have the same function or there's different camps. Oh, i travel all over the world supporting the camps yeah so, mm. um, from raising money to speaking at events to hosting things to working with you know corporate donors and big foundations and it's really fun and i get to hang out with the kids and the families all the time so and what is, I, i'm sorry no i was gonna say what is safe water uh organization what's what is that all about 
Yeah, so Safe Water Network started about 15 years ago with uh, Paul, and uh, he was always interested in environmental issues. He enjoyed both, uh, water being kind of at the center of a lot of issues, and even more so today, uh, given climate issues, uh, public health issues, uh, and and access to safe water, uh, you know, critical component of healthy communities, uh, uh, livelihoods, uh, enormous impact on women, girls who are unfortunately often disadvantaged as it relates to taking having responsibility for collecting water. Um, there's about 2 billion people globally who don't have access to safe water the way that we're familiar with. Uh, it's enormous, profound in terms of how that uh, compromises health and livelihoods. And so the focus has been on uh, you know, a it's solvable. There's you know, the, the technology is there. There's often funding and resources, not enough, but but uh, but what what happens too often is that there's uh, you know investment in providing a system in a community, uh, focus on infrastructure, and unfortunately, in in most of these fragile markets, thirty to sixty percent of that infrastructure fails within two, three, four years. So you're left with a lot of failed projects around the world, and it's because of a lack of focus on sustainability, keeping the systems running, providing the training, providing financial incentives locally so that uh, they keep running, focus on water quality so people aren't just getting water, but they're getting safe water. And so our focus has been on solving that as an example and a model in two countries, Ghana and India, where we've invested significant time and resources to build out at scale programs in those geographies does the government those governments help you out or are they just um so, sort of hands off yeah no we work very closely with the governments uh in fact you, you know as 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 uh providing policies advisory work so that we get the policy structures right you know, how do you provide simple case you know how do you price water people have got to pay a little bit to keep it you know, affordable and equitable access, but you got to pay something to keep it running. And and how does the government provide some form of subsidies and ongoing support to ensure that uh, this can scale up? So we work hand in hand with them. We work, you know, we, in fact, some cases we provide some training and support, service support to government entities, both local and regional and national level. Uh, so that's a critical part of what we're doing. Otherwise, otherwise it's one project at a time. And, and our goal is to you know, provide a model that can be replicated and scale with the large stakeholders and players that are you know, critical to reaching the, the 2 billion people in need. Mm -hmm. Now, I read in, in one of the, uh, I don't know if it was in your interview, but anyway, there's, and I thought it was it's just cute. To hear, it's called the, wa in India, water aunties. Yes. Yeah. Water, water, water aunties. <laughs> <laughs> that gets to the point about the gender issue, right? So, we, so we we focused a lot on how to uh, enable and encourage and support uh, women in these communities to to build the skills, the capabilities, and and the um, kind of the, the 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 whole support system in these communities to be successful in delivering solutions so a big part of that is you know get them to focus on water quality yes and uh make sure that they've got the tools and skills to ensure sustainable safe water access so it's it's critical it's getting the getting the woman engaged is is the path to success ultimately right so um the book the memoir that just came out i guess a month or so ago um and 
Did you? Yeah, I mean, just showing the book. Um, so as a question, I guess, for Clea more, for both of you, really, like when when those those notes that were taken that your your dad kind of gave up on, on the memoir, but they were out there, uh, a lot of material, I guess, in interviews with friends and, and business uh, associates. Is there any, did you learn stuff about your dad that you never did know based on that? <laughs> I think that's, all. <laughs> that's a yes. <laughs> We're just listening to this. I, I definitely lost, I mean, I definitely learned quite a bit about my dad, but not, but, but a lot of the, I think the things that most surprised me were just how complicated his childhood was. I mean, I, I knew it was complicated and I knew what a difficult relationship he had with his mom, but not, and even with his father in some ways, but I had no idea how complicated it was. And, um, I think that, that was really tricky. Um, and, and regarding the transcripts, the transcripts were kind of a weird phenomenon. You know, we had all been interviewed. Um, there were a hundred interviews that were done by Stuart Stern. Uh, and the whole point of it was that he want dad wanted everybody to be incredibly honest. Um, and I think it was this really kind of intricate, journey for him almost like a therapeutic journey for him and um they were socked away but we didn't know where they were and Stuart had asked us about it every time kurt and i would go out and visit he would talk about he would talk about the transcripts and how Stuart, Stuart yeah um and he would talk about you know maybe we should give them to yale um so it wasn't something that was kind of hidden we just didn't know where they were and it wasn't until my mom's house was being painted that we found all of the transcripts carefully organized in two tall um file cabinets down in the laundry room with a bunch of boxes in front of them mm -hmm. and we when we when we found them you know we didn't and this you should, this is the laundry this room of a, the laundry, of, a of an old house in a, in the in the basement. So you're going down these creepy stairs with a light bulb with a string on it. <laughs> it's not as if you've got um well, yeah, yeah it's not it's not, well no, it's like a beautiful old antique house, but yeah. it you know, but you know how those basements are, right? It's you yeah. know, it's not totally oh, yeah. finished yeah. and you know. Anyway, so um <laughs> so they were they were they were down there and we found them probably about a year before covid and but they were those were all the other interviews but dad's transcripts were not in that so we were reading through all of them mm -hmm. i'm not myself but actually my best friend emily um who was one of the producers on the last movie stars also was the one that actually found the transcripts downstairs because she was organizing, trying to move stuff around so that the painters could paint. She would have fine. So, I mean, yeah. So um, anyway, 
we then were moving a bunch of stuff into mom's storage unit and sitting, you know, behind a couple of other boxes were dad's transcripts in two big boxes that said PLN history. And when we found those, it one once we started reading through them, um, which again was a big education. Uh, and as Lissy would say, would have made for some really interesting conversations over the dinner table, um, which would be true. Uh, it was really clear that that he wanted them to dispel the fairy tale. Um, and it was a difficult decision for us. I mean, it was not something that we took on lightly. And then... Um, you know, we remembered seeing that actually in dad's will, it says if there's any interest in doing, you know, a book on me or my memoir, um, you know, I'm, as dad would put it, I'm okay with it, you know, oh. which is typical of dad would just be like, yeah, whatever. Um, so. So you had his permission, basically, yeah. Well, we, we had his permission, but it, but, you know, it was not something that we took lightly. Um, but we really did feel like it was his wish and we wanted to abide by his wish. What know? would be the reluctance of you not doing it? I mean, you were just, what were the things that you had to consider to move that forward that you, you said there was a lot of discussion about it before it happened? Well, it's, um, I don't know if you've read it, but you know, it's yeah. it's not it's not the fluffy version. Yeah. You know, it's it's real and raw and and hard and he's very honest and um you know, dispelling the fairy tale was hard because of most people thought everything in my parents' life was perfect and that my father had this perfect life and and you know nobody's life is perfect everybody's life is complicated yeah. and in some ways it um almost seemed healthy to put out this the the real story about dad and that he continued to evolve and grow and become an even you know better version of himself as he got older. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. He continued to create, he, you know, he did, he started Safe Water Network when he was in his late seventies. Mm. He never stopped doing stuff and, and, um, and giving back and being creative and, and working in his, in, in films and, you know, being a great grandfather and, I think yeah, Lizzie said in her talk that he was, and she's meant this in a in a positive way that he was a natural born hustler. <clears throat> yeah. The movie The Hustler, but she wasn't referring that that he was invent resourceful and constantly. Oh yeah, you know, and she. I think there was a thing, and I don't know if she said it, but there was a reference to something in college where uh, he set up a bar in a car. Right, he set up there was a his car, I think. And he sold drinks, so people pay him five bucks, and they go in his car, and they could drink, and then leave because there was no drinking allowed in the frat house or something. Well, it did, even better than that, <laughs> Kurt, do you remember that story about him starting? He he found a small store a small storefront 
in the main drag um, in in wherever Kenyon is. Yeah. And um and he put some washing machines and dryers in there. It was better than that actually in some ways because more creative. He 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 created a space where he would give people beer and they would provide their laundry and then he found women in town to do the laundry. So I never have to invest in anything beyond a keg or two of beer. <laughs> he outsourced, he was way ahead of the game in terms of outsourcing. He outsourced the laundry and and everyone I came. Know. It was a social thing. And, uh, you know, so he, I, I don't know how I would say it as a hustler. I'd say it was just, he, he had great entrepreneurial instinct right. and he, <laughs> and he had fun. Yeah. He enjoyed, he enjoyed things and he enjoyed the, the discovery process of that. And, and uh, doing things that uh, you know, take chances on things, and and right. uh, and that was pretty, you know, yeah. I think a modest beginning. The laundry room, the, but, but the he made a killing. He made a ton of money. Yeah. Well, the inference was that if he never became a movie star, he would get by. I mean, he wasn't like it's do or die. You know, he would find a way. But um, I wanted one. This is sort of a poignant quote from the book. I have pulled a few, but we'll talk. This was the first one. It says, "I don't have the gift of fathering," so. I mean, this is a tough one for a daughter to answer, but in your mind, did, does that sound ring true? Or was he, he was obviously a good father in ways. Um, I, I, I think he had difficulty um, in the beginning, certainly. I, I mean, I, I'm the youngest of sex. So I think by the time I came around, you know, he, by the time I was born, he was 40. Mm. Um, by the time I was you know, an interesting person, little person that he would want to hang out with, you know, he was in, he was in, you know, almost 50 years old. And so I think it was a little, maybe a little bit easier for me. Um, but he, you know, he had a hard time in the beginning. I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, all the stories are true. He, you know, he drank a lot. He, he did some crazy stuff, <laughs> but but I give him a lot of credit because he, you know, like I said, he continued to evolve. And by the time I really needed him as a young teenager and, you know, when I started having like, you know, crisis, whatever crisis you have as a teenager in my 20s or whatever, he was 110% in. Mm. And so... um he continued to work really hard to be a better parent and be more present. And he never stopped working on it, mm -hmm. which. Well, it probably just speaks of his self-doubt, which is a theme throughout the book, the, 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 the frustration of not being able to connect to, to mentors, teachers, parents, he said, you know, in these interviews, um, I don't know, it was this connection thing. And then there was this other, I think it's his description. He said there was always the conflict of the ornament versus the orphan, right? What is yeah. that? Is that does that describe what he like? He felt like an ornament, like everyone's. You know, he's a sparkly ornament, and yet inside he felt alone, like an orphan. Is that? That's pretty. I mean, I would say that's pretty much it. But I that it really started from his childhood because his you know he really felt like his mother. And he even says it in the book that his mother wouldn't have even spent any energy or time on him if he hadn't been a pretty little boy. Um, and so, he, you know, he fought that um, 
for most of his life until he got to be an older man. And if you look at his work, even as an actor, I mean, his best roles are, you know, the verdict. Yeah. Um, the, you know, once he started looking a little bit, not quite as Adonis-like, and he started looking like, well, I mean, you know, he started looking like yeah, yeah, a no. older man. Um, <laughs> you know, he could kind of dig deeper, and he didn't feel like he was the ornament anymore. In the, in the, uh, the, the HBO series, and it was interesting. I mean, he was always... Yeah, I mean, for me, he was always like, you know, enjoyable. And he always seemed real in his parts. But I could see in the verdict uh, that it was like more depth to to his acting. Did th th Was that your idea or the, the, the children, the, the, your siblings, to do that series? Or were you approached by some producer? Uh, Just one quick thing on the, the that series and this point, which I think one of the most poignant moments of it is, He's asked, does he identify more as being Jewish or Christian? Because his parents both. And his answer was, you know, he sort of thought about it, not an immediate response. Says, I, I, uh, I'm Jewish because it's more challenging or more difficult. <laughs> oh, yes. it's, it's just harder. It's just harder. And I thought that was pretty profound. And I think it also captures kind of, he, he forever took on, he, he could have gone the much easier road in a lot of things. Mm, and, and he took on more challenges and, and I mean, a much more interesting life path and more challenge as to Joanne. I mean, just remarkable in terms of their commitment to give back to the, the arts, the crafts, the, 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 the people that uh, were in their orbit. And, uh, and that was, I think what, part of what makes them remarkable and you know more complicated individuals because when you go down, when you go the tougher path, you know you 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 face challenges that are different than kind of just doing the kind of the the, the easy stuff. And and I think they both really made commitments to the challenging work that makes you know necessary to make a difference. Does um, Go ahead, Megan. So this is, yeah, I have a question. Well, I want to show you a picture and it's showing off a bit, but there's a question attached to it. So, so I took this picture of your parents in. Um, I remember you did. In 19. The, the birdhouses, right? Yeah. Did he eat well? I mean, is it, I mean, was he into nu nutrition? I mean, no, beside the popcorn and the tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> he, actually, he did, but, you know, but he was not a big eater and he worked out like crazy. I mean, he, for the amount of, for the amount of um, exercise that he did, even into his 80s, uh, I mean, you know, we were always like trying to cram food into him. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he was, I mean, he, but he ate healthy. He just, you know, he would eat half of his meal, you know, and so, he would work out for like two hours on the yeah. first climber. I mean, if I drank a can of beer, I'd gain five pounds. And he just yeah, same didn't, here. didn't affect, seem to affect him at all. Well, if you worked out as hard as he did, oh, you, you know, yeah, I mean, he really did. Just, he was crazy fit. He was crazy and, and disciplined about it. I mean, like, every, yeah, every day. I don't know if you answered this already, so I'm, I apologize. I already had. So did, was it your idea to, the kid's idea to do the film, the series, or yeah. did a producer approach you and say, you know, I'd look, we'd like to do a series on, on your dad and your mom, basically? uh well it uh it started with emily um 
And initially we were going to do a film on my mother, but we found that we really couldn't do a film on mom without dad. And then it became this kind of whole new animal. Um, and Emily, you know, we tried to find the right director. It There were some, you know, baubles along the way. And then Emily called me and said, what about Ethan Hawke? Um, Kurt and I watched one of his documentaries that he had done about that wonderful one that he did with on the piano teacher yeah. pianist yes. and um and it just it was so it was such so interesting and so emily said to me well you have to call you have to call him yeah we went to school with him in, in boarding school oh so i called him and poor ethan <laughs> you know i i he, he had no idea why i was calling him and so i said you know so great to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. Listen, we have this idea. Would you like to, you know, do a story, like a documentary on my parents? And he said, he told me later, he's like, you know, I kept trying to say no. And I found myself going, yes, absolutely. I couldn't imagine not doing it. He just, he was and really the poor guy spent the two years during COVID working on it, you know. No. He's like a dog. Great as sort of the connector of the different segments because he's very enthusiastic. Yeah. About yeah. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, it's it's a wonderful project. I, I mean, he, there's so much material, and um, the way that he told the story, I thought was brilliant. Yeah. You know, through a lot of their clips together, and so. So, I mean, the, the only weird thing was is just doing the inner you know doing the whole process via zoom was really mm. strange but yeah but it was kind of cool because kurt and i had just sold our house and so we had moved into the barn um on my parents property which was really cool because doing it while we were living there it just you know we were kind of like living and breathing <laughs> the family, maybe a little too much for her, but it was. <laughs> it where was, did you meet? Where did we meet? Yeah, we met in town through a mutual friend. Yes. Yeah. Here in town. Here in here in Westport. Yeah, oh. I, was, I was. I was living in New York and work, but working in Westport. <laughs> right. And I grew up in Easton, so I'm familiar with the area too. And I live in Reading. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you related to Carl Soderlund, the, the artist? That, that, that would be my brother. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Very accomplished artist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you do any, do you, do you dabble when they, uh, so I dabble. I've done one penguins across the, the, oh, really? the <laughs> only one. <laughs> and it was just, uh, sort of a, the passing of, two dogs that were clays for many years. And so I oh. I did a little impressionistic that may, maybe a kindergartner could have done, but I'm, I'm not no, sure. It's <laughs> amazing. He's actually very creative and he does amazing doodles. Yeah. Dad, your dad did great dad, doodles. Dad did yeah. great doodles. He did doodles too, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, and the funniest, that's how my parents used to communicate with each other. A lot when they would, he, dad would, 
you know, go out and take the dog out for a walk and he'd make this little doodle with a little, you know, a little note. There was like him, stick figure walking the dog and then a poop and then him saying, I picked <laughs> the poop or whatever. It just, it was, just, you know. <laughs> yeah. oh, so, um this the the foundation i get it's you newman's own how many products do they have but by, by now hundreds honestly i don't know There's at least 10 12 different style dressings but um uh so are they helpful with these charities they they help support the 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 camps and the and the safe water efforts you've been making they do that's good like crossover i mean they kind of yeah they yeah no they still do i it it's a it's a little awkward because the family's not really involved anymore with noon zone but they're but they are supportive of of the camps and safe water yeah i had quite another uh, sort of a more practical question about safe water so what are that what are the solutions is it purification are there mechanicals involved you know systems yeah. mechanics? Pipelines and yeah. Think of a small uh, water plant in a community, mm. but some of them, the largest one is maybe a community of three, four thousand people with connections to every home. So there's on one end of the extreme, there's that. On the other end is a very small water processing facility that uh, uh, then uh, dispenses the water. People get it in in twenty liter jerry cans. So think of it as five gallon buckets. Closed mm. buckets, mm -hmm. uh, and so so, and they pay a modest amount. We keep it very affordable, um, and it's keeping that that infrastructure running. You know, the the, the service side of it, <laughs> training the technicians, training the operators, the the community engagement, how to how to ensure that the communities are fully bought into it, invested in it. Um, you know, educated, educated. Are they, what what are the what are the early projects we did where it really came to life to me how important that piece of it is uh one of the first water systems we put in ghana got a call and and this is these communities the small villages have grown into larger communities so what might have been two or three small villages is now one larger community and i got a call saying that one part of the community that the chiefs there had uh were disappointed that the water facility was on the other side of the you know, kind of the older, the different community. And uh, they'd arrested all the people doing the construction. So <laughs> there's there's a lot of dip local diplomacy that goes into okay, imagine, yeah. doing this work, a lot of soft side of it, not, not just the infrastructure. <laughs> it's not unlike here trying to get something built and, you know, who who you're nice to and who you have to slip up a few dollars to. And I guess it's, <laughs> the world goes around. What's your favorite uh if you're allowed to say, do, do you have a favorite bottled water that you go your go to <laughs> water? I, that's a bad idea because I, I think in general uh, this idea of the, you know hauling water around the world and and uh, the the costs and the plastic and the rest of it is is not sustainable and right. probably yeah. I mean it, in certain situations it's important to have access to but but uh, you know I think you know all of us could probably remember growing up and you know, this thing, Perrier, all of a sudden, being, like, who's going to put money for Perrier? I mean, yeah, what, yeah. and now it's all over. I mean, it's just, you know, you Dozens can't. Of waters, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, how many waters? And then it turns out that New York tap water was voted the best, you know, in a, in a blind taste test. This was several years ago. 
but New York yeah. is number one. Kaya's, Kaya's father wanted to, he, in, in seriousness. This is this was serious. He, he wanted to bottle New York tap water and call it oh. New York tap water. Just to, just, New York, <laughs> I think it was called New York's own. Uh, wait, I, I think it was called it New York's own. own or something. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> and just, to, just to remind the world that, you know, the water you're out of your tap ain't half bad. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we drink water out of the tap. Like we don't. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I use, sometimes I use that little flavoring, those little squeeze bottles of flavoring first, but, but yeah, that's, I do. I don't, I have well water, so I, I don't have to worry about rust if that happens. Oh yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, we, we had well water growing up forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what in, in our houses in Westport, we always had well water. Oh, there, no. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, you you are not allowed to take long showers. <laughs> yeah, I'm you didn't have one of those buckets on a thing, though. Yeah. <laughs> not quite like that. In my old house, we couldn't take a shower and wash dishes at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard with a lot of girls too. That was yeah, tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to draw straws. To... So <laughs> this is sort of I don't know provocative question, but. Um, Paul's first wife is, is your your family your and this your sisters uh, have you have you met his first wife or are you friendly with them or it's a whole nother world and you know you don't connect um so so Jackie just passed away uh, um, a, um, two years ago uh, it's so hard to remember because I, I, it happened during COVID and I always feel like COVID Hmm. just you know like everything kind of runs together um i mean we we grew up with our other siblings i mean yeah. you know i will say that my mom tried very very hard to create a a family of all of us um you know she tried to interact with jackie i met jackie when i was little i didn't really meet her much but she lived in california and we were pretty much here mm. unless we were in school um occasionally when my parents were working in, in la i mean we we tried not to be in la as much as we could possibly not be there <laughs> so any excuse to come back to connecticut i mean we used to come back even for thanksgiving and yeah. in those days that was not a small trip um, to bring like a whole family with the dogs and everything like back for four days and um, but we, we pretty much didn't like being in LA. So any chance to get out of there, we did. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like your mother was the connector that your father struggled to be, maybe, you know, it seemed like she, she was the, tried to be more inclusive and or it was easier for her. Maybe. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, she just, uh, mom, kind of had the secret sauce of you know she was the hostess with the mostest and not and i don't mean that in a yeah. you know yeah. kind of snotty way she just she was just like this constantly warm inclusive um person and and she tried really hard to make sure that all of our sibling you know that we knew that all of us were together and she was happy to bring all of us together all the time. In fact, 
I remember she and even my girlfriend, like all my friends and my sister's friends and stuff, you know, my mother used to take us when we were kids to Disneyland, like, you know, in California. And my mother by herself would go with like 20 kids <laughs> by herself. Yeah. And, and she loved it. She was, you know, she was just, I mean, she was really good at kind of managing lots of little people. <laughs> and, she, and she liked doing it, you know? So, whereas my dad, you know, he just didn't kind of know how to interact. Mom was just kind of, she was just a natural. Even right. though she says she wasn't, if you listen to her in the docuseries, she was mm -hmm. totally a natural. Yeah. Well, you know? So do you have any, are there any new projects on the horizon, either charitable work or the show business stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty exhausted. Doing a lot of interviews, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, this isn't really my strong suit. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I did an interview in Chicago, and and somebody asked me, "Why didn't you become an actress?" And I said, "Because I'm terrified of speaking in front of lots of people." She goes, is this considered a lot of people? I said, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thank you. Very... <laughs> we don't want to put you on any more stress, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Yeah, to it was you. fascinating. And the book is Paul Newman, The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man and uh, Safe Water Network. And the series is the last Hollywood movie stars, right? That's the title. And serious fun children's network, and you know the whole new all game camp. There's so many great things that your family's done. So thank you. So Thanks. Nice. Thank you. This was fun. Good. Have a great weekend. Have okay. a great weekend. A great holiday. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.